And uh, just in case, uh, I don't think uh, Richard said, but um, if you're wondering where Chris and Fliss are today, I think they're taking some well-needed time off, uh, just kind of, uh, they're somewhere in a forest, I think. Um, I don't know why, <laughs> but they are. Um, so they're just taking some chill time. You know, they work really hard, so it's good for them. And uh, I get the job as well of preaching, which is good. Now, we've been doing a series uh, called The Big Story, okay? And it's, we've kind of been basing it around, kind of around this book, uh, which is available for you to buy, but I think we might have sold out. I think we sold about three or four hundred of these, something like that. We've sold a lot, but if we have got some copies on the bookstall, uh, you're able to buy one. I think they're a fiver. I think they're sort of a subsidised price. And this book is written by a guy called Mark Powley, who's a friend of a friend. Uh, and the aim of this book is to take you um, through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, uh, and it says in 40 days. Okay. So we've taken eight weeks out of the preaching schedule and we're trying to kind of basically follow the, the, the chapter titles of this book and give you some of the content of this book. But really what we're trying to do is just give you a really brief, really brief framework or skeleton of the basic kind of narrative and characters and storylines of the Bible. Okay? And we as a preaching team have really looked forward to this but found it incredibly difficult. I haven't actually preached, this is my first preach in this, this series, but the other guys, the other, the other dudes, have, uh, they found it difficult because there's so much stuff in just this book. So much stuff and so much good stuff, it's hard to decide which to chop out and which to not. Uh, but I would encourage you, if you're part of a small group or if you're individual, you're looking for something for uh, devotional, help you work your way for a Bible, you think you need this, uh, try and get hold of this book. If we haven't got them, maybe try and track them down through Amazon or something, or we can get some in. Um, it'll, it'll help you. So, so far, we, we've done, I think, four weeks. This is the fifth week. So I'm beginning today the, the New Testament. So far, we've been going through the Old Testament. And one thing you find about the Old Testament, if you pick it up and you start to read it, is just how dense it is. So many characters, so many narratives, so much going on. And it covers such a huge kind of expanse of time. And uh, we've done a fairly good job. We've given you the kind of the, 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 the things you really need, I guess. We've talked about the creation of the world. We talked about the fall, that moment where sin, or you might understand it better if I say brokenness, came into the human people, the, you know, mankind. Sin came in and we were disconnected from God. We've spoken about how God chose a nation, Israel, to represent him, that he would shower his mercy on and they'd be an example to the nations. We've spoken about how they have broken up and uh, last week Chris done a great job of talking about how uh, they were scattered, they were in exile, that they essentially, it seemed like the promises that, of God and their potential to represent God on earth had gone because they were just scattered, just disconnected and Yet still God was longing to bring them back and, and to, 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 to kind of let them back into the fold. But there was, it, it was just seemed like it had gone too far. And uh, this week we're going to the New Testament. and This is exciting. A little bit less narrative, a little bit less character, so it's easier to pick some stuff out. But remember, I'm kind of just today, I just want to give you a framework for understanding this topic. And the topic I've got is the kingdom of God. Okay? And I'm not going to cover everything, but... I will cover enough so you can hopefully begin to get a grasp on it. And, and if you're thirsty for more, just read your Bible, read some good books about it and get it in you. But uh, just to kind of let you know where we're coming from, as, as we leave the Old Testament, um, God's people are uh, in sin and, and separation and, and under the rule of the Persians. Okay? So as we leave the Old Testament, it's a really dodgy situation where it seems like 
it's all gone pear-shaped, all gone completely wrong. And Israel, this nation that was supposed to represent God and have God as their king and their ruler, is actually under the rule of these Persians. They're occupied by another nation who is controlling them and controlling how they and influencing how they worship and how they live. Things have not gone well at all. And as you leave the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, it ends pretty depressing. It ends basically with the people hoping and the prophet Malachi sort of saying that God will come one day and judge. He will come and deal with things. But it seems it, it doesn't, it just, there's a gap then. Who has got a, uh, who's got a Bible with them today? Let me ask you a question. Just put your hand up if you've got a Bible. Okay. Would you do me a favor? Would you grab your Bible, put it in your hand? Okay. Now, could you turn, turn to the section in your Bible where the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins? So I'm gonna, we'll, I'll do it with you. Okay, so you need to go to the book of Matthew. Don't be afraid to look in the index if you don't know where you're going. Okay, so everyone there? Are you there? Okay. Now, if, you're, if your Bible's anything like mine, it'll have a page like this, okay? So I've got the Old Testament there. There it is, Malachi. And then there's a page with kind of a, a blank page, and then something that says New Testament, then another blank page, then Matthew begins, okay? Now, if you don't mind defacing the Word of God, you know, which we're all up for here at the vineyard. Um, would you take a pen, if you've got a pen, and write on one of the blank pages, like I have, 400 years. Don't be afraid. Just write 400, nice and big. Okay. You see, the thing that you don't often see, or you don't often understand about the Bible is, between the New Testament and between the Old Testament, there is a gap of 400 years. Theologians call it, the people who study the Bible for a living and wear glasses and jumpers with those elbows. Um, <laughs> and have big eyebrows. And I, I, I should stop. Um, they tell us that they call it, they've termed this 400 years, the 400 years of silence. The 400 years of silence. And they say that essentially for this 400 years, there was nothing written. There was no prophet who came and spoke on behalf of God. That actually, from Malachi to the beginning of Matthew and John the Baptist, or what, the angels really, nothing significant was said. Which is a stark and strange thing. It's a weird thing. 400 years of silence from heaven. Have you ever had an argument where, of course you've had an argument, it's Sunday morning, of course you've had an argument. You had one on the way in, right? It's just standard, you know? Two things you have to do on a Sunday, put money in the offering and argue. Okay, it's just what you do. We're Christians, we love it. Have you ever had that argument where you say stuff and it blows up, but then there's silence? Anyone, silence. And the, the trick is this, whoever breaks the silence concedes defeat. You know this, you married people, you know this, okay? When you have an argument and there's just that, you just blank each other and you, you operate on the lowest form of communication possible. Men, we're like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Women are like, <sighs> When you're in that situation, whoever breaks the silence, that's important because it's like, I concede. So there's 400 years of silence, And I want you to know something about God this morning. God 
breaks the silence. God breaks the silence. And it's not because he concedes that he does anything wrong. It's not because he suddenly realizes, actually, I was out of order. But actually, God has spent 400 years and these people are still occupied by nations. And whereas we leave the Old Testament, it's the Persians. When we come to the New Testament, Israel is now occupied by the Romans. They're being influenced and the way they worship is being changed by Roman culture. But God comes in and he begins to speak. And this is so important in our understanding of God. So important. That God breaks the silence. That God loved Israel, his people, so much. That he loved you and I so much. That even though we had harmed him, even though we had stepped out, even though we had disobeyed him. He breaks the silence. He speaks. And today as I talk about the kingdom of God and we, we enter into the, the New Testament. We enter into the, 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 just the best thing. And the thing that actually all scripture is about. is Jesus. It's Jesus. And the, the New Testament and the gospels. Just so you know this. Maybe you're not, not sort of clued in on this. Um, when I say the gospels, there are four books, four gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And these are accounts of Jesus' life. And each account is slightly different. It's written by different people. It's written for a different purpose maybe to, to, to influence different groups. But there's these four lovely portraits of Jesus. And what they all share in common is this. That it tells us about the moment where God breaks the silence. And actually God himself comes among us. God himself comes among us. All through the Old Testament, even though there are moments where God seems to physically show up in places and do stuff, generally God would give commands and the people would then follow or not. Or he would speak to individuals or just small groups. And he'd speak from afar. He'd be slightly distant. He'd be on a mountain. He'd be in a fiery bush. He'd speak for an earthquake. But now in the New Testament, the Gospels tell us that actually God himself comes among us. Jesus himself comes among us. Now I just want to stop for a minute. Just, I want to pause my talk and just say to you, just in case you, you're wondering. We, we really like Jesus here. I'm just telling you. I've got to let you know. We think he's great. Okay, He's just amazing. And we believe that all scripture points to... And speaks about and recommends and commends to us Jesus. That every story of the Old Testament is in some ways telling us something about what Jesus would do. Something about the the character of Jesus. Pointing to what the victory that Jesus would give us. And I want to tell you that because sometimes we don't talk that much about Jesus. I know that sounds funny in a church but sometimes we talk about God. We talk about walking with God and we don't think about Jesus. I went to a conference, this is my rant moment. I went to a conference over the weekend with a couple of guys um, up in the north of England. And uh, massive church, really spent millions on them. They got two big buildings, bigger than ours. And really fancy worship and they'd flown in a speaker from South Africa. And I've got to tell you that for a day and a half, they did not mention Jesus. It's a Christian men's conference. And they must have maybe name-checked Jesus. At the, end, the last session of the day, I think the guy name-checked Jesus twice. 
But other than that, they just spoke about other things. And it was so depressing for me because it was like going to a car showroom and be given a nice cup of coffee and a comfy seat and being chatted up. But no one tries to sell you a car. No one mentions there's a car. And that's, that's the thing that gets you somewhere, the car. And Jesus is the thing that gets us somewhere. Not some vague talk of a God. Not some moral kind of rules, do this and you get that. Not some plan for living. Not some 12 steps to 7 steps to 5 steps to freedom. Jesus does it. And I'm so excited today to talk about the kingdom of God because it's all based on Jesus. So there you go, ran over. We'll edit that out of the podcast. So God comes among us. And something happens and Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a phrase you'll hear often. If you read Christian books, you'll hear it. And maybe even in songs, you'll see it sometimes. And Jesus speaks of it often. There are, massive, there are parables about it, massive conversations about the kingdom of God. But let me tell you um, what it's about. Because actually, the kingdom of God was pretty much one of Jesus' favorite topics. He spoke about money a lot. A little bit about hell, about heaven. But the kingdom was his, some theologians call it, um, Jesus' beautiful obsession to preach about the kingdom of God. And let me tell you basically an easy way to understand the kingdom. And this doesn't cover every aspect of it, but this is the easy way to think it. Take away the word kingdom and replace it with the word movement. So if you think of the kingdom of God as the movement of God, that will give you maybe just a little bit more understanding of what we're talking about. The kingdom of God is about the movement, the way God begins to come into a person's life and influence and change them. That's the kingdom. It's the very movement of God's rule and authority. It's the movement of God. Now we're going to look today at just one gospel, okay, which is going to help us understand the kingdom. And if you've got a Bible, you still got that Bible in your hand, you want to turn to the gospel of Luke, okay, third gospel in. Um, Luke is a fantastic gospel. Let me recommend it to you. Um, Luke um, is probably the most complete author in the New Testament, simply because he writes his gospel, and it's quite a long gospel, it's very well researched and very well written. He, he was funded by a rich guy to go and write it, just, and the rich guy sort of said, here, I'll, I'll pay all this money, just please go and travel around and speak and interview everyone and gather all the information you can about Jesus and his movements on the earth and put it in a gospel for me. So Luke does that, and not only does he write a gospel, but then he actually goes on and he writes a book called Acts. So if you look at your Bible, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then a book called Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. So Luke writes both of those pieces of work. So Luke actually tells us all about what Jesus did, but then he goes further, and he actually goes, but this is how the movement, the kingdom of Jesus, translated into people. This is how then the people moved. So I'd recommend Luke to you and recommend Acts to you. And we're going to use it today as a, as a guide to help us understand what this kingdom thing is about, how it works for Jesus. So I've got kind of three points. Because I'm a preacher, what are you going to do? Uh, my first one is this, that when Jesus came, he preached the kingdom. When Jesus came, he preached the kingdom. We're going to read something uh, in Luke 4, verse 14 uh, to 21. It says this, 
And then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And reports about him spread throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boy at home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has, appo- he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. To set, to set, uh, he has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released. That the blind will see. That the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favour has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Another version says all eyes were fixed on him. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So here if you want is Jesus' coming out moment. Not his coming out moment. He's been doing some stuff. He has been traveling and preaching. But this is the moment where Jesus kind of lays out his plan. This is what I'm going to do. This, this is what me coming is all about. And he reads from Isaiah. And he reads this really, really famous bit of scripture about the Messiah. The one who would come and rescue. The one who would come and set things straight. All these years being under the Persians and, and, and the Romans and all this. There's this prophet who speaks about the time when a saviour will come and will deal with all the stuff that's going on and Jesus reads this out and he basically in here he describes what his kingdom will do what his movement will do he says my movement is going to be good news to the poor it's going to set captives free the blind are going to see the oppressed are going to be set free and God's favour will come upon people God's grace, God's kindness will come on people. And this is a great moment. This is the, and this is essentially the, the message of the kingdom. And Jesus preaches it in different ways and he tells parables about it. But this is it. That God has come to rescue and to heal. That God has not come to condemn us, but to save us. He's not come to tell us what we've done wrong. He's come to tell us how to choose what is right. And... Uh, this would be great. You know, and, and lots of people say good things. But, you know, lots of people say good stuff, but it's only if you back it up that it works. I mean, there are lots of figures, right, through history, other faiths and other great people who just say great things, give great speeches. Politicians and other leaders just give these really, wow, heartwarming, really rousing calls. But then nothing happens. But the wonderful thing about Jesus is, not only does he preach the kingdom, but he brought the kingdom. He brought the kingdom as well. So we're going to flick forward a bit in Luke to Luke 7. And Jesus is now, he's been doing some stuff. He's been uh, pretty busy. And he's out in towns. And there are moments in, in the Gospels where it says that Jesus stayed outside of towns. Because if he went into a town, there would be a riot. Because everyone would just stop what they're doing and rush to see him. This is how popular Jesus was at moments. So Jesus has been out traveling and doing his stuff. But uh, there's a guy right at the beginning of every gospel, pretty much every gospel. A guy called John the Baptist who was actually around a bit before Jesus and talked about Jesus coming. And actually saw Jesus and pointed to him and said, there's the one. And after that people started following Jesus rather than John. 
And this character, John, is now in prison. And he's beginning to wonder what's going on. And uh, here's a little account of, of uh, uh, John's disciples and Jesus. So we're going to read this. It's in Luke 7, verses 18 to 23. It says this. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Great question. Are you, are you the one we're looking for? Are you, are you real? Or should I keep looking for someone else? John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. And he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. So Jesus is amazing, not because he just came and told us what he would do and what God was like. Because to be honest, there are lots of people in the Old Testament who did that. But the the thing that changes in the New Testament, the thing that's amazing is Jesus comes and he brings that message, but also he confirms it by doing it. He says the blind will receive their sight, and that's great, but he does it, and that's better. He says that prisoners, captives will be set free, and that's great to say that, but he does it, which is better. Because the kingdom is about the movement of God. And for us as followers of Jesus, it's not about what we, just what we believe. Just ticking the boxes and going, yep, I understand that. I think that's what God is like. For you and I, the thing in our lives is, let's experience that. Are we experiencing that? Do we know not just the words of God, but the power of God? Because this is what the kingdom is about. God is a God who wants to move in our lives. He doesn't just want to teach us from afar. He doesn't want to stand off distance and just say, these are the rules. He comes among us and he moves, but then he calls us into his movement. And the final thing that he does, he preaches the kingdom, he brings the kingdom, but also he shared the kingdom. He shared the kingdom. There's uh, countless times in the gospels, there's really interesting moments where Jesus is talking And Jesus has been traveling around and he's been preaching and doing his thing, healing people and all that. And uh, Jesus looks out on these people and he says, uh, he says, uh, he's filled with, uh, well the scriptures tell us, he's filled with great compassion on the people. And he turns around to his disciples and he says, hey guys, we need to pray to the Father that the Father would release more people to go into the harvest field. Basically, that God would use more people to get the kingdom movement out amongst people. And the disciples all go, yes, yes, we must, we must do that. And I always imagine, uh, I spoke at this before, I always imagine the disciples turn around and they start the first Christian prayer huddle. Okay, and they get together and they're like, Lord, send someone. And uh, they're shouting, one of them is maybe using the gift of tongues a bit early. And... Um, they're just going for it. They're just praying, Lord, yeah, do that, do that. And, it, and there's this great moment in that story where Jesus almost straight away says to them, you need to pray to the Father for people to be sent. And they go, yeah, and they do it. Next thing Jesus said is to them, 
go. <laughs> Which I don't think they were expecting. And I don't know about you. Maybe you're not expecting that. Maybe actually you love to worship, you love to come to church, you read your Bible, you do your stuff. But actually you believe that involvement in what God really does is for someone else. And maybe you've discounted yourself a little bit. You've decided, oh, that's for the staff, or that's for the the highly skilled people, or the musical people, or the artistic people, or the the really bold and arrogant people who can push themselves forward, but not for me. But let me tell you, Jesus says to you, if you're a follower of him, he tells you about the kingdom, he shows you it, but then actually he goes, "You, you can go too. You can go too. And the movement of God is not something that happened 2,000 years ago. The movement of God is something that is happening right now among us. And that can happen right now for you, to you, and through you in Jesus. So he shares the kingdom. Let me go to a scripture in Luke. Just to kind of finish things off in Luke a bit. Right at the end in Luke 24. Verses 41 to 49. This is after Jesus preaching and teaching and uh, healing people and doing amazing stuff, raising someone from the dead, doing just amazing, miraculous stuff all the time. And it's interesting, uh, if, you, uh, if you go through the scriptures, you will never find a moment, never, in the scriptures where someone argues that Jesus didn't do a miracle. Never. Even his fiercest enemies and critics never come up to him and say, I don't believe it. You didn't do it. Never. In every account of a miracle in the Bible, it's never argued. And the Pharisees are documented as saying, and lots of other Jesus' enemies, if you want, are documented as saying a whole bunch of stuff against Jesus and calling him a blasphemer and all this stuff. So they weren't afraid of digging in and having a go at him. But not once do they say, you didn't do this. That's not real. In fact, the only time a miracle of God is doubted and spoken against in the Gospels is actually just the resurrection. The resurrection is that only moment. So Jesus has been preaching and teaching and then he goes to the cross. And the cross is a... Someone else is going to teach on that in a week or two and that's an important moment. But I would say this, that the kingdom of God, the movement of God in our lives is only possible because Jesus went to the cross. And it's only in that moment as he is crucified and he dies that actually there's an exchange that is then offered to us our brokenness, our sinfulness for Jesus' wholeness what's incomplete in us gets given to Christ and what is complete in Christ gets given to us and it's only that moment that allows us to really share in the kingdom and the movement of what God is doing so in the Gospels, we've, Jesus done it and he's been to the cross. He suffered and died, but God has raised him from the dead three days later, just like Jesus said. And then there's, he appears to disciples for about, I think it's 90 days, a long time, just chatting and eating because he's a dude. You know, he was hungry. He's like, I've been dead. I need a meal. It's like a, it's mixed grill time. Um, and then he appears to him. And, and in the end of Luke, we've got this little account of, of what he says to him. It's really interesting. So it's in Luke 24 verses 41 to 49. Uh, it says, still they stood in disbelief and filled with joy and wonder. 
Then he asked them, this is Jesus, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of uh, boiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, basically everything in the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed with authority, with the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things. And now I was send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Interesting moment. Jesus is here. He's, he's finishing off a load of stuff. He's saying, look, the New Testament, all the stuff we've been talking about for the last four weeks, all of that was leading up to this moment. Jesus, God himself, coming as a man and living and dying and coming back to life. And, and, and in some ways, Jesus fulfills all the promises or the majority of the promises concerning his coming and the redemption of God's people. But now there's something else. Because he says, you know, all that needed to happen. But then he says, it was also written that this message will be proclaimed with, with the authority of his name to all the nations. So it's almost like Jesus preached the kingdom. Jesus brought the kingdom. But now he shares it. In this moment, he shares it with his disciples. And he says, now you get to carry on the work of God. You get to carry on moving in the movement, the direction that God is going. And this is the kingdom for us today. It's not something set a long time ago. It's not something nice Jesus talks about. And it is certainly not heaven. So many Christians or nominal Christians just connect the cross of Jesus to heaven and some weird cartoon Clinton cards image of heaven. But actually, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said the cross, what he had done, his reason for coming was for now, was for right now. A friend of mine, rather cornerly, uh, in a rather corny way, sorry, he used to say that heaven is not um, pie in the sky when you die, but uh, meat on your plate while you wait. And uh, I always found that quite a helpful way of looking at it, quite an old school way. He was an Amkin, what can you do? But in this moment, Jesus is saying, look, all this amazing movement of God for the Old Testament culminated in me but now things written need to be fulfilled and they're about you they're about your movement now in being involved in what God is doing and Jesus says an interesting thing he says you just wait just wait and God the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit and he will give you power to go and if you read the second book of Luke if you flick past the gospel of John and you go to Acts and this is homework for you. Acts will tell you what happened when a bunch of people, just like you, waited in a room. And they were afraid. They actually were hiding in a room. They waited in a room and they were just praying to God out of fear that they were going to get hunted down and killed by the authorities because they were connected to Jesus. And they just wait and they're just praying. And it tells you what happens when God's spirit comes upon them. And I'll, I'll tell you, the main thing that happens is movement. 
the main thing that should happen to us as we begin to connect with Jesus, as we begin to give our lives to him, is it should have some effect on what we do and how we are and where we go. It should affect our movement because the kingdom of God is not a great thought. It's a great movement. It's God taking action. It's God moving out. And you get to share in it. There is work for you to do. The kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom is God's movement among us to rescue and restore us. The kingdom is God's movement among us to rescue and restore us. My question for you this morning is what, what part do you have to play in that? I don't know all of you, there's too many of you to know. I know some of you, I, I know some of you are on various teams in this church, involved in worship teams or, you know, the, the, the children's work or the youth work or prayer ministry or any number of the other activities we do. And that's great, brilliant, go for it. But maybe even you need to ask, what is my specific part to play in this? Because every one of you in this room, God has something for you to do. God's movement is not for other people to do and then you to tag along into. There is something where you are supposed to be involved in creating the momentum of Jesus on earth. And I can't tell you what that is, but I can tell you that it's there. There is something for you and it's your job to to grab hold of Jesus, to hunt down your purpose. Because Jesus didn't come just to tell us about the kingdom. He didn't just come so we could see the kingdom over there, someone's leg growing or something. He came so that you would share in what God does. This is the kingdom. It's amazingly awesome and powerful, but it's so simple as well. It's just what Jesus wants to do through us, in us, with us. And I don't care where you are this morning, I, I care, but whatever you think of yourself doesn't matter today. If you think you discount yourself or you've tried it and it didn't work, I want to say I feel for you, but I don't care. <laughs> I want to say that God loves you and his value on you is massive. Do you know how valuable you are? You're so valuable that God gave Jesus in exchange for you. That he looked at your life as messed up as it is and as crumbled and kind of broken as it is and he looked at the life of Jesus perfect, sinless, loving, kind and he said, I will swap Jesus to have you. And that's the cross. The great purity of Jesus' life gets swapped for the brokenness of our life and then we get the reward And I just want to end this morning just by encouraging you guys. Read the Bible. Go for it. We're really happy to do a series like this and push you towards it. But ask the question for yourself. What part do I play? What is there for me to do? Please, please, please don't live a Christian life where you just observe other people. That's not what God wants for you. He wants you involved. We have a phrase, a saying, I guess, in the vineyard that everyone plays. Everyone gets to play. And we believe that. Every one of you here, you can pray to pe- for people. You can witness to people. You can do amazing things for God. But 
my encouragement to you is you have to lean into that. You have to start saying to God, okay, God, and you can pray this today. God, what do you want to do with me? What, what stuff have you got for me? The Bible says that long ago, God plans good things for us to do, good works. Say to Jesus, what are they then? Come on, what, what are they? Show me. In the best way, without upsetting him, challenge God <laughs> to show you who you can be or, or who you already are, in fact. Do it. And then you'll find the kingdom, the movement of God through you in your life. Would you guys mind standing up? And can I have the worship guys back up? Then we just pray and then we'll worship. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that with you we get to be involved in what you do. Lord, I thank you that in this room there um, are so many of us who right now, Lord, can leave this place and be involved in what you do. Jesus, I ask that you would, through us, move in our families, Lord. That you would, through us, Lord God, move in our workplaces. That, Lord, you would, through us, just move in, in any circumstance we're in, Lord God. Would you let us know how to act, how to be, what to say, where to go, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, we pray, as you taught us to pray, that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.